episode of CQP Moments. As always, I am your host, the Coupon Queen Pen. Guys, there's a doctor in the house today. Yes, I'm talking about my guest, the amazing Dr. Asim Desai. So, let's take a moment out and we'll find out what the good doctor has to say. So guys, like I was saying, I have Dr. Asim Desai here and believe it or not, he is a cardiologist. I know you guys are like, what? Queen pin cardiology, cardiology budgets. I don't get it. But, you know, things have kind of turned upside down for us. So I'm going to let Dr. Desai introduce himself. Welcome, Dr. Desai, and introduce yourself to my listeners. Good morning, Queen Pen. Thanks for having me. Hello, listeners. So as Queen said, I'm a heart specialist. And I really have a personal journey through all this. I have a book coming out in just a few weeks about the heart and about a particular condition called atrial fibrillation or AFib. And we can get into that a little bit. But what I really wanted to share is just my personal journey because I think that many people could connect with it. Uh, We're in this pandemic right now. And um, people are struggling on, on multiple different levels, you know, from yes. a mental health, a physical health standpoint. And um, I've had my own struggles over the years with, with illness. And I think that we can learn a lot from each other. And, you know, people think of the heart and a heart specialist just in terms of like, you know, queen, the, like the physical organ, but it really is an emotional organ. And we connect with each other through our hearts, our hearts talk to our brains and our brains talk to our hearts through the nervous system. So I do think there, there could be hopefully some good take home points for your listeners and I can learn as well. Okay. You said an emotional organ. What do you mean by an emotion? I mean, okay, let, let me get this straight because I know a lot of times we say, you know, heartbroken, heartache, you know, but what do you mean by emotional organ? Yeah. um, So the heart, a lot of people think that the brain talks to the heart through the nervous system. There's something called the autonomic nervous system. It's, it's the inner part of our right. body that links your brain to all your vital organs. Right. Well, it turns out, it turns out like your, your heart actually has its own nervous system. And so stuff from the outside world, whether it's a conflict with an individual, whether it's a happy event, your heart and your blood vessels and your cardiovascular system there's actually studies that show that that responds first, even before your brain processes those emotional responses. Really? So the heart, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. I mean, I, I actually didn't really know about this until my own challenges with stress and burnout in, in my field, because burnout's really common, especially right now in healthcare providers with, with uh, COVID. Um, and so I started looking into ways in which you can incorporate your heart in managing stress. And so one of the first things that happens when you're in an emotional uh, connection with someone and whether it's a positive or negative one is your heart rate goes up and your blood pressure goes up. And so that's the physical organ 
connecting with the emotional organ part. And actually your GI system is very similar. So your gastrointestinal system has its own nervous system that takes in stimuli from the outside world and sends it up to the brain. It's called the enteric nervous system. And so I, I just find it fascinating. I mean, you know, I trained in Western medicine, Queen. So I'm, you know, I kind of grew up in that context of memorizing things and okay. medications and procedures and things. And it's, you know, but I'm also Indian. I mean, my parents are from India and I, I have this, this background and sort of an integrative approach to health. And I trained, right. in, ph trained in philosophy in college. So I'm kind of this I often joke with people like, I don't feel like I fit in as a cardiologist in my field because <laughs> I don't know, like I just, I, I love like pontificating. In fact, my wife gets pretty bored with me when I like oh sort of God. get into these spiritual discussions. But yeah, I, that's why I just, uh, I love the fact that we're on this program together <laughs> and I, I want to share whatever is in my head and my heart okay, with, so with your listeners. I have a question. You said that in other words things outside affect the heart and being connected to people affect the heart so okay guys i know you probably figure you're figuring out where i'm going with this i do have a few people that come on and talk about relationships mm -hmm. so okay there's a thing that in other words on and i know we see a lot in married couples where in other words now the living spouse may have to see a cardiologist after one spouse passes right um how does this work in a let's say a breakup or in a you know a long-term relationship that is no longer you know or even if someone is kind of like falling out of love with someone and the other person can tell like you said a connection how does that right. affect heart and mind and nervous system yeah Is there anything yeah. that people should be looking out for physically absolutely there's actually something called broken heart syndrome it's a physical condition where actually the heart can go and this doesn't happen often by the way so i don't want to scare people but it, it just illustrates the, the power of an emotional impact. So what happens is uh, people undergo a major stress like the loss of a spouse or loss of a child and they can actually go into congestive heart failure. Like their heart literally can go through a heart attack process and have a very physical presentation. And there's even like TED talks on this from cardiologists, broken heart syndrome. And it's also called Takasubo cardiomyopathy. That's kind of the fancy term for it, but it's broken wow. heart. It's broken heart syndrome. And so we see people like for example you may have heard about this where someone may be at a funeral and um they're there for their loved one and then they actually drop dead and we've seen it I've, I've heard that, of that i have heard of yeah, that. yeah 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 and so there's something very real to it and you know while having a, a, a breakup isn't the same thing as the actual physical loss of, of a spouse you know the the our bodies, our minds have a very difficult time processing the difference between different threats that we encounter. So whether we were a prehistoric population running away from a saber-toothed tiger, or whether we're in an emotional conflict with someone, or we're in a relationship and we thought it was going in a good direction, the other person was on a different you know, level and saw it from a different perspective and things didn't work out, our bodies process that stress very similarly so what i mean by that is like 
your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your cortisol, which is like a, a hormone that's pretty, it's a stress hormone produced by your body uh, under physical or emotional stress, that goes up. You go into this fight or flight response. That's why people often feel, you know, their breath going faster, their, they can feel like their heart pounding. I mean, I'll just share oh, with wow. you a little side story that I distinctly remember that um, I was dating and, you know, I really liked this person and um, I could tell that, that things that, that she was probably going to end things. I just had that sense. And, you know, I think anyone who's dated kind of, kind of knows what I'm talking about. Right. And I, right. Just, I distinctly remember being in like a bike shop and I was like looking to buy a mountain bike. I'd never done it before, but this person I was dating was really into mountain biking. So I thought, well, you know, I, I'm just, I'm going to try it out and it's a way to connect. And I just remember this conversation on the phone and I could tell it was going towards the breakup phase. And I really, I felt my heart beating. I felt my heart like literally beating out of my chest, breath going set. Those are physical symptoms. So does that answer your question in terms of um, yes yes okay. I, I didn't expect you to go so extensively but yes <laughs> thank you thank you oh okay. yeah okay so what made you get into medicine on a whole what made you say okay you know what I mean most people say you know I want to grow up and be a doctor is that is that was yeah. that you well yeah I mean so I was three and I woke up in my neighbor's house like in the, in the middle of the night. And I found out that my dad just had a heart attack and my mom actually had to take him in the middle of the night to the hospital. And so the, the neighbor basically came over and picked me up and, and took him to their house. So that was my exposure to the heart. And obviously I was three, so I didn't really know how to process intellectually what was going on. But, you know, I mean, as kids, like, you know, kids process everything that we don't think they process, they process. And so, and my dad was an oncologist, he was a cancer specialist. And so he survived um, and he lived for an, an, another 20 years uh, after that heart attack, but he wasn't the same. I mean, he lived in like this constant state of fear that he was gonna have another heart attack. Wow. And, and so I really saw like a, a physician who took care of people get impacted by his own health. And that also got me just interested in, in that physician patient kind of relationship. But- okay. um, you know, yeah, I, I would go to the hospital with my dad and, and you know, it was, it was kind of a cool thing to see. And then when I was in high school, I really enjoyed science and, um, you know, it, it just seemed kind of like a natural fit. So when I applied for um, college, I applied to this program uh, at Northwestern University in Illinois that it was a combined program. So like when you applied for college, you applied for med school at the same time. So it sounds crazy, but the idea was that you got admission to college and med school at the same time. Right. There are so that schools it, that do that. Yeah, yeah. So it took the pressure. The idea was that it took the pressure off of you of just having to be this sort of pre-med science person, not well-rounded at all. And so they wanted well-rounded physicians, you know, and, and obviously we need it now, not that now more than ever. Yeah. And so that's how I majored in philosophy. I, I decided to, to pick something completely away from medicine. And so I did my philosophy degree and my pre-med, you know, all in one college experience. And um, you double majored? All, I double majored. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was also, I don't know, I just used parts of my brain that just, you know, you just kind of felt more, I'm, I'm in a, if you can't tell, I'm like very much this 
kind of philosophical intellectual kind of kind of person and so um so you know that's that's kind of the long-winded answer to how okay. i ended up in in medicine is that initial exposure as a kid and then the science part and then you know as you go through the training process you know i didn't decide about the heart until much later in my medical training but it was oh. really be, it was being in the coronary care unit so like you know when someone comes in with a heart attack their artery is blocked and, and right. part of the heart muscle is dying. Right. And I just remember being on those, on those medical rotations and training. And I just saw how like people could literally save another person's life. I mean, just by simply putting in a balloon to the artery and opening it up and just that immediate, and maybe, I don't know, maybe deep down, it was something about my dad, you know, having a heart attack at a young right, age, right. you know, who knows? Right. But that's Wow. Thank you. Okay, well, actually, you answered my second question, so that was, like, super cool, because <laughs> I was going to ask about cardiology, but, okay, I have a question that I really wanted to know, which is, can you explain what an electrophysiologist does as yes. opposed to being a regular cardiologist. Not that you're not a regular cardiologist, but I mean that specific field. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, nowadays a lot of branches of medicine like have these sort of sub-sub-specialists, you know? So you don't just have an oncologist cancer specialist. You have a breast cancer specialist. You have a lymphoma specialist. So right. it's the same in other branches of medicine. So cardiology, you know, the, the heart's of an engine. So it's got plumbing, electricity, and valves. So you have doctors that specialize in those different parts. So the plumbers, we like to call them, my colleagues, the interventional cardiologists, they open up blocked arteries and they, they take care of the heart attack victims. The electrophysiologists deal with the electrical system of the heart. So your heart has its own electrical system that causes the heartbeat to happen and sends blood to the rest of the body. And so, and then I mentioned the heart and the brain are sort of intimately connected through this electrical right. system. Right. And so an electrophysiologist basically is a person who specializes in abnormalities of the electrical system of the heart. So like the heart rate can go too slow, it can go mm -hmm. too fast, it can go irregular and and the cool thing about this field is like we actually see people from all ages so you know you normally think of cardiologists and for older people with heart disease my youngest patient was 16 that had a genetic condition where the heart rate went really fast and i wow. actually performed a procedure to to eliminate that circuit so we okay. we basically deal with short circuits of the electrical system okay so okay i was explained to front explained by a cardiologist one time that in other words and maybe you can tell me but I had heard that sometimes they hear you guys hear damaged hearts so long that in other words it's kind of it's kind of like you know when you hear someone with a mild condition as opposed to a severe condition it's like and eh, it's okay um I guess help me understand. I, I don't think I quite understood. In other question. words, what happens is, I guess, after being in the field so long, you know, like dealing yeah. with, you know, people with heart disease. And, oh, you know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In other words, you guys hear it so much that, in other words, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it may be so mild that it's kind of like you may tell a patient not to worry about it. And, and um, people, 
I mean, I know people can feel like they've been dismissed, that they've been sort of ignored. Is that what you mean? Like if they have some symptoms? Well, and- that and like, okay, I, I, have, I have a twofold take on this. Now, some, some people do feel ignored, but it's yeah. kind of like when you tell a person, you know, uh, you, you know, you, you kind of have a heart thing. And, and then it's like, well, it's, I want to see you in like, you know, next year or I want to see you in the next eight months. And then it's like, but it's not really anything to worry about. And then they go back to business as usual. Like, yeah. It, so what should, what should they be doing as opposed to just going back and, you know, like gorging on (laughs) unhealthy foods and stuff like that like in other words when you say that people just go oh okay well you know what i'm i'm yeah i'm leaving here and i'm going straight to mcdonald's for lunch after the doctor's office like you know right right yeah i think first of all you know and and we we have the whole gamut i mean so you know we have red flags in heart disease where like if someone faints and and hurts themselves that can be a sign of a heart problem we have scenarios where you know extreme shortness of breath or chest pain and things like that. And then you have people that may just have some skipping beats, their heart beats fast from time to time, but they're overall pretty healthy. So we look at what's called the structural aspect of the heart. And so right. there's tests that are done for that, like the echocardiogram is an ultrasound. So that's, a, that's like what we call a risk stratifying tool. So you do a heart test and if the heart's structurally okay and electrically okay, then whatever symptoms the person is having Mm-hmm. They are unlikely to be life-threatening. However, right. if the heart is not structurally okay, then the symptoms carry a totally different uh, level of, of concern. But, you know, being told that, oh, you know, you have a benign condition, you know, don't worry about it. Just, you know, my, you know reduce your caffeine and alcohol, stress management. That's not a free pass to like go to McDonald's. I mean, you know, we have, right. an, we, we have an obesity epidemic. And one of the reasons why we're just seeing more and more heart disease issues is tied to weight. And um, so, you know, I, I, am I answering your question? Is that kind of yes, where you're yes, going with it? Yes, okay. I, I think that's really what it is. It's like, you know, and, and, and I, I think part of it is because I hear it all the time. In other words, well, the doctor said, don't worry about it. And they went back to business as usual. And of course, when they come back and see the doctor in eight months, it's like, uh, well, guess what? Now you're on medication or now your condition has turned into something moderate or severe. Because in other words, it wasn't said, you know, well, hey, you know, no, it's not. And, and I think part, part of it for me is I'm a very word driven person. So it's yeah. like, maybe if something was said differently, because if you tell me eh, it's nothing to worry about, it's like, okay, yeah, well, I'm walking out the room and I'm minding my business, yeah. <laughs> you know, like right. I'm going back to everything I was already doing. So if you say, right. you know, the difference is if you say, you know what? Yeah. Well, you know, queen pin, it's not serious, but pay attention now i'm like okay you know it's not serious but i don't want it to turn into something serious correct and i think that that actually probably needs to be the statement in the vast majority of cases i mean one of the reasons you know we as cardiologists it's no different than the emergency room doctor like we triage so we're in our office seeing patients and we may have just seen someone with advanced congestive heart failure and then we walk into the next room and we're seeing a younger patient that has some mild symptoms that are likely related to stress or perhaps right, some other factors. Right. And so 
that our natural human tendency is to triage and say in our own minds, this person's okay. So, you know, it's going to be a quick visit. And, and the problem is like, we are so limited by time now because of insurance companies, a variety of other factors that, okay. it, it, and it's not, it's not a, a, a defense of the practice, right. but you know, it's the reality of medicine, unfortunately, is that when that occurs and you deal with someone who's likely has a fairly harmless benign scenario, I think that so much of the focus is on wanting to reassure people that not enough is spent on education. So, you know, I may have someone that says, you know, that has an issue. And as you mentioned, you know, it, it's, it's probably nothing serious, but, but rather than me just saying it's nothing serious, it should be, yeah, this is the way the heart works, or this is the way your body works. And these are the things that could happen. I don't think they're happening right now based on the testing, but these are the things that could happen. So this is about preserving your function in life. And that's why there's, there's this whole entity, this whole branch of medicine now called functional medicine. And it takes into mm -hmm. all account, all different organs, you know, like your brain and your heart and your GI system. And these are physicians. They can be physicians even like me that go through additional training. But the idea is no longer you got a disease, we're going to treat it or we're going to prevent it. It's really about maintaining people's function in life so that as they get uh, older, they're, they're, they're not getting injuries. They're not falling. Right, they're right. They're not getting pneumonias. They have a good immune system. Right. So I, I personally think in that kind of conversation that you were talking about in a doctor's office, it, it really needs to be a combination of education and, and just, you know, being honest with the patient. You don't want to deliver news in a very negative way, but you also don't want to sugarcoat it. It's trying to find that, that right, light, happy medium, the happy, that medium. happy, that happy medium. And honestly, you know, the, some people want to hear it a certain way from doctors and other people want to hear it a different way. If you right. have someone that is more like a high end corporate executive, they just want to get the news. Like they want to get out of there. Like I right. have people that, you know, they're on their laptop as I'm talking to them, you know, and it's sort of like, yeah. okay, you clearly, and then you have people that, you know, really need a lot more reassurance. So, you know, yeah. our job is, is to really read that and, and try to talk to people on that level, you know? Okay. Okay. So in other words, a case by case basis. It's all about a case by case basis, but it okay. all starts with edu it all starts with education. Yeah. So let's get a little bit into your book, and I I love the title by the way. Restart your thank heart. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so okay, it's about helping not only those who are affected by atrial fibrillation, but caregivers, which I love. I I, yep. I love that because a lot of times I think, and and this is just my personal take on it, I think even though yes, the focus should be on the patient, but those caring for that patient need to know how to best help the patient. Absolutely. And, so, and that's why, yeah, that's, and, and so the introduction, you know, is actually my own personal story talking about what happened to my dad. But actually what prompted me to write the book is, you know, unfortunately a couple of years ago, um, I got a call in the middle of the night from a Chicago area hospital that my mom got admitted. And I'd like, she's totally healthy. You know, she didn't tell us that she was admitted or anything or that anything was going on with her health. And that was just her. She like kept everything to herself. And so I get the call and what I'm hearing in the background is the sound of them doing CPR on her, coding her. So that's the call oh that I gosh. get. Yeah. That, the, it, and, and so 
you know, I knew, I just, I heard the noises, like I've run codes before, I've, you know, been in that process, so I knew exactly what was going on. And, you know, because she was, the nurse on the other line was just trying to say, are you her son? You know, she's a little sick. And I was like, are you coding my mom? So this isn't the first chapter of the book. And the, the theme in there is really about like, you know, people often hide their medical problems from their family because they don't want to burden them. Yes, yes, they it, do. It's such, a, it's such a common problem. And, you know, the next thing you know, your family member is diagnosed with metastatic cancer, but they could have been saved if they right. actually went to the doctor five years prior. So right. I use the, the story to kind of illustrate that point because, you know, she always kind of kept everything to herself. And the reality is that she had, had been having symptoms for a while and we um, didn't know. Um. And so, so the teaching point was, you know, you think you're not burdening your family, but honestly, getting a call in the middle of the night, having to run to Chicago from California while I have a two-year-old and, you know, take her from the hospital, put, take her off life support, because that's essentially what I had to do within a 12-hour time period. I mean, it was that bad. I mean, she was basically gone. And so, wow, so it was, it, well, thank you. And, and you know, the, I tell the story as the intro to the book you know, more about illustrating that point to what you're saying, which is, you know, it's the book is for people with AFib. The book is for people who take care of people with AFib. The book is also for people who are at risk for AFib. And that, that's a message I really want to get right. out to your listeners. Right. Because the, the risk factors for AFib are obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes as the top ones, and age. So people right. over the age of 60 or 65, the incidence of AFib goes way up. So about 6 million Americans have AFib right now, 6 million wow. Americans. And in uh, 2050, it's going to be about 16 million because wow. people are living longer. And it's a yeah. major, major cause of stroke. That's right. the biggest thing about AFib. Right. Now, I will say this. One thing I, I, I will personally say is... Guys, if your doctor tells you to get a pill box, get the pill box. Because a lot of people go, you know what? I don't want to be seen as that old person because, you know, I'll be very honest. We think when we think, you know, the pill organizer, we think yeah. old people medicine. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I hear you. And, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's not that. It's just, guess what? With our busy schedules, with everything that we're doing, we're trying to make sure, you know, the kids get to ballet and soccer and everything. Yeah. And I mean, not right now, because of course we can't go into the out so much, but in other words, in our normal schedules, guess what? Even if you're putting saying, okay, you know, I'm putting my multivitamin in that, you know, you, you're remembering to do what you need to do for the day. And, and it makes things so much easier. So yep. When we think of those little organizational things, don't think old people medicine. I, I, I had yeah. to do that for myself. I had to say, you know what? It's a matter of me being more diligent. That's so, absolutely yeah. right. That's absolutely, I mean, you know, when you think of yourself and you have a health issue, you know, it's really about thinking about the people around you too. And, you know, yes, it's hard to kind of come to terms with, how it may look to the outside world, whether you have, you know, a pill box and you've got your high blood pressure pills, your right, diabetes right. pills or whatever it is. But, but you got to think about the people around you. And if you're not taking your, 
care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. So, you know, and, and so it's hard. I mean, I get it. You know, I, I have my own medical issues. I have to take pills and I've had to do it for several years. And, you know, as a physician, like you're, you're kind of worried about what your other partners are going to think. I mean, all right. Right. And you have to just kind of get over yourself a little bit. And it's, it's a harsh way of saying it, but it's like, it's, I, I'm walking the walk. I mean, it's, it's hard, but you're right. You, you, you do need to do that. And, you know, kind of circling back on that point with regards to, to the, the book, the book, it, it's really not just about AFib. It's about your health. It's about an integrative mm, approach. I okay. talk about nutrition. I talk about meditation. I talk about um, what I call a resilience toolbox. So like during COVID right now, you know, it's good to have like five things that you can go to to maintain your sanity. You know, whether you're a single parent at home trying to homeschool or whether right. you're someone who has to go into work and you're a frontline worker. Like you need to have that toolbox of things and whether that's exercise and music or nutrition or meditation or social connection, whatever it is, like I, for your listeners, my advice is like identify those things that bring you joy and make that a toolbox for yourself so that when you are in the midst of feeling stressed out or whatever, like keep it on your phone, kind of like what you're talking about the pillbox, but like keep this on your phone so that- it reminds you that you have this go. So I talk about that in the book and the, you know, the title of the book is restart your heart, the playbook for thriving with AFib. And the reason why I titled it playbook is the idea is that say you get this diagnosis, right? There's so much information out there online and so much not credible information. That's grammatically incorrect, but I said it that way because it's not reliable, credible information. I'm a credible source. I deal with AFib every day. I treat people every day and I've been doing it for 20 years. So, and surprisingly, there is a tremendous lack of information from people in my field. I was shocked when I started doing the research. There's yeah, like yeah. nothing out there. And so the idea was like, you know, come up with something that's easy to read, okay. easy to di- digest, actionable. There's, there's great illustrations in there. I heard them. Yeah, I saw them. I was it. like, oh my gosh, I, I was looking and, and I saw, and, and guys, I will honestly say the, the, you know, looking at it and, and reading the table of contents, it's not, like you said, it's not a hard read. It's, it's not a whole bunch of information just thrown at you. So you're like, okay, yeah, I know I need to add oatmeal to my diet and I can't have a banana and I have to look at this and I have to lay down and turn around 18 times. And I think that's really what most people are used to, this real stringent kind of thing where it's like, you feel like, and, and I think that's where the fight usually comes in with people when, when their health changes is they feel like their whole life is taken away. Well, and that's the thing. There's a, there's a word, you know, term called micro steps that's being used a lot nowadays. So when you want to make a behavioral change, it's not about, you know, biting off too much. Like you have to make small, realistic goals every week or every month or whatever right. it is and take those micro steps. And, and that's, that's the idea behind a playbook, you know, like in sports. Right. And, and so it's really meant to be a guide for people. It's not meant to be a stringent, as you mentioned, kind of like unrealistic because you're right, like people are not going to stick to a change in their diet or exercise or whatever if it's too if if it takes them too far away from their right. lifestyle. Right. You know? And the you know, the one of the reasons also why it's called playbook is, you know, there are a lot of people um that have this condition 
that are pretty well known, like Barry Manilow and Billie Jean King. Really? And Kevin Nealon, Larry Bird. And so it turned out that David Baker, so David Baker, he wrote the forward to the book. And he is the president and CEO of the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I got to know him. He has AFib. He talks about it in the book. And, you know, we talked about how pro football players have a six-time increased risk of developing this disease compared to people who don't play football. Really? And that's, that's controlling for all the other risk factors. So yeah. a lot of athletes, we're seeing more and more athletes, people who are like supposed to be physically fit, actually right. getting this, getting this disease. And, and there's a reason behind it I talk about in the book, but, um, but yeah, you know, that's why it's also called playbook. It's kind of using that sort of sports ah. analogy of like, so guys um, understand you have to get the book. You have to get this book. <laughs> you have to get this book. And, and the, the, the thing is, like you said, it's not just for you it could be for a loved one it could be preventative it could be all of this you guys have to get the book all of the information will be in the show notes so you won't miss anything you won't miss a thing so wow i and and i circling back to the whole athletes getting afib i mean because yeah. like you said we really think these people as you know, they're healthy, they're playing sports, they're, they're doing everything that our doctors tell us to do. They're working out, they're, yeah. you know, they're being active. So what is, is it a stress factor? Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of things. It's, it, a lot of it has to do with the nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system, our fight or flight response, you know, athletes, especially like in football or basketball, like there are these sudden surges that they have to do of energy, right? Like they have uh. to tackle. Or, and that sudden surge is not good for the cardiovascular system in okay. the long run. Okay. And what, what we're seeing is that athletes that are kind of in their 40s to 60s, you know, these, these pro athletes in different mm -hmm. disciplines, like they're getting AFib because what's happening is they have that, that, that chronic stress on their cardiovascular system, and then they're aging. So right. this, this disease, AFib, it's like arthritis of the electrical system. So as you get wow. scar tissue in your body and your joints, you get the same thing in your electrical system. And, you know, a couple of just take-home points for the listeners, you know, AFib is an electrical epidemic. It, it really is. I, I talk, you mentioned the numbers in terms of the numbers of Americans alone that have it. Right. You know, there's a, um, and so it's all about early detection and early intervention. That the, and, and the symptoms can be really subtle, really tricky. So, you know, the, the thing that people should really get familiar with is learning how to take their own pulse, whether it's in their neck, whether it's in their wrist, or whether they're wearing an Apple Watch or something along those lines, but some way of measuring their pulse that it should be regular, it shouldn't be too fast, it shouldn't be too slow. And Apple and a couple of other companies have come out with technologies on their wearable watches that are designed to look for this disease. That's how common it is. Right. Apple ha right. has, has, it, has a function on it to look for AFib and tell you right. whether you're an AFib or not. So, um, you know, that, and, and then the other, I guess, big take home point is just, you know, you got to treat your body as a whole. So if you have this particular form of heart disease or cancer or whatever, you really have to think of your overall health. Food mm -hmm. is such a critical part of it. Food is medicine, and, and it's something that we don't pay enough attention to in Western medicine. Right. But there's a lot of healing properties with 
the proper kind of food, you know? And so, um, right. So, okay. I want to actually talk about, believe it or not, meditating and, you know, actually learning to relax because there are times when, let's be honest, we're all on the run. It's like, you know, I've got to do this. I've got that. I've got this deadline coming up. And there are times when sometimes you'll find yourself like, kind of like, okay, how do I get all of this done? And you're, and you're frantic. And I'll be very honest. Sometimes going to the doctor and the doctor will say, you know, are you feeling, you know, that that's one of the common questions. Are you stressed? And you really don't think of it. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. You don't think of it. You're like, no, I'm just going about my day. You know, you're not yep. thinking of it as stress because you're, you're so used to being in that heightened hyper state that to you, it doesn't seem like stress, but it actually is. So how do we get from being that stressed? How do we learn to put things like relaxation and meditation and all those great things so that we can kind of bring it down a few notches. Absolutely. So first off, it totally works. I meditate. I've been meditating for years. Uh, There was a time I didn't, and there's definitely a before and after for me. My family has noticed it. My patients have noticed it. It allows you you know, it doesn't fix everything. You still get stressed out. The difference right. is when you met when you meditate, you're able to step a little bit away from the situation and realize you are not that to-do list. You are not that stressed. You are not that emotion. You are actually the person or the, you know, the being that's witnessing that. You know, those are just part of the physical and emotional experience. So meditation is, you know, it's as simple as breathing. Like if you even just did five minutes of some simple deep breathing, you know, first thing in the morning, like I, it needs to be a part of your ritual, like get up. Like, so what I do, if people want to know what I do, so I, when I get out of bed, the first thing I do is I actually get out of bed and I, I get down on one knee and I'm, I, I'm the spiritual person. So I get down on one knee and I just say a quick prayer. And, and then I get up and I brush my teeth. I go downstairs and then I meditate and I use an app called calm, which is an awesome app. Um, yes, you, you may you see commercials for it. Yeah, it's an awesome app. And it only, it only takes a few minutes a day to really develop a meditation practice. And believe me, like people will notice the change because you're right. You're right, Queen. Like there is such an emphasis on productivity in our culture, you know, what, and, and so much of it has to do with the technological revolution because we are able to make, you know, a 50 task to-do list on our iPhone, right. we will go ahead and try to accomplish those 50 things in one day because there's a certain sense of gratification when you get all those tasks done at the end of the day. It's like this measurable thing. And I love this phrase. It's you can do less but accomplish more. By meditating first thing mm-hmm. in the morning, you learn how to triage. You learn how to say, okay, this is important. This isn't. This is serving me. This is serving others. This isn't. And you start to realize, oh my gosh, I like, I get so reactive through the day. I'll, I'll be in the middle of one thing and I get an email and that email really upsets me. And then the next thing I know, I'm down a rabbit hole of emails. So, you know, I I think, you know, the, the, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but the, the thing about meditation is really just pick an app. I like calm, even LeBron James, like he's got on the calm because he's got his own meditation on there. 
Um, right. And guys, it okay, because I've 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 introduced people to the Calm app. Yeah, there is a portion of it that you have to pay for, but believe it or not, there is quite a bit of it that is free and it is free to download. Yes. So there are yes. a few minutes of meditation where, you, like you said, Dr. Desai, you can just breathe and you're being guided through that for maybe 30 seconds, two minutes, you know, and you're working your way up. And it's, it's so, it is so calming. It's, it's, it's amazing. And there's YouTube, there's YouTube uh, meditation sessions that are totally free. Uh, so you know, you can basically get access to a guided meditation anywhere. There's so many ways to meditate. A lot of times that's a bit overwhelming. That's why I always like to just tell people, you know what, like, just make it simple. Like there is a free portion of the Calm app. Another really good one is Headspace. Um, that's good for like people who are just starting out, but the yes. Calm app is, it's so user-friendly. Like it's, and, and it's just so easy to use. There's great sleep meditations because sleep is such a big problem. I was going to ask so you people. about that. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about sleep. So, you know, um, Ariana Huffington, you know, the, of the Huffington Post. Um, yes. You know, she's all about sleep. And so I had um, the opportunity to connect with her as I was writing this book, because when I was writing the book, I was talking about a variety of things, including the importance of sleep. And she tells that story. I heard her on, on a podcast once, and she told the story of how, um, you know, she got to this place of realizing the importance of sleep because she went huge stretches of time with, with lack of sleep because of productivity deadlines when she was at the Huffington Post. And one day she just collapsed. Like she just flat out collapsed, was taken to the hospital. And, and that's where the doctor looked at her. Kind of like what you were saying when, when a doctor looks at you and says like, are you stressed out? Like the doctor just said, right. you got to change, you got to change something. So then Ariana went on this, this mission really of promoting the health benefits of sleep. People don't realize like you are increasing your risk of cancer. You are increasing right. your risk of all sorts of bad things with lack of sleep. So it, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. People know this, but how do you do it? And it's such a common problem. And there's such a focus on using medication to help with sleep. Right. It's different for everyone, but there's some basic things that you can do. Just okay. taking a, a shower or a bath before bedtime, it cools your body temperature off a few degrees. So a lower body temperature is critical for sleep. That's why you want to sleep in a room of like, you know, kind of the 68 to 70 degree range, like on the cooler end. You don't want it to be too warm. You definitely know screen time after 7 p or 8 p.m. Um, you want to um, really think about like just reading a good book something that's not too stimulating, listening to music. You, you need to create a ritual. That's what Ariana talks about. You got to create that sleep ritual that works for you. And just like we talked about before, Queen, like it's got to be small little micro steps. Don't make a big change. Maybe just pick one thing. Maybe pick right. listening to, the, to a, a sleep meditation before bedtime right. or whatever it is. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's critical. Like it, it can turn around your health in such a big way, your mental yeah. health and your physical yeah. health. That, that, that is so, so true. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was I had noticed that the other day I was in a conversation with someone and this person was just like going through everything, you know, they're working from home because mostly all of us are working from home or, you know, at home doing something. And this person had just had a barrage 
barrage of like emails and all kinds of crazy stuff and zoom meetings. And they're like, I, I got to do this and I got to do this and, and, and I can't. And it's like, and I actually, you know, like found myself, you know, like calm down, like, okay, stop, yeah. stop, you know, time out. Like I, I, I need, and actually believe it or not, I actually started to feel their stress. I wasn't in the room with them because we were over the phone, yeah. but now I'm starting yep. to feel stressed and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's, it's, believe it or not, I actually started getting a headache from yeah. listening to them. And it's like, now I'm racing. And how do we deal, in other words, where it's actually not our stress, it's someone yeah. else's stress. And you don't want to be rude because you don't want to just like hang up on a person like, you know, what? Right. I, I know you're having a bad day, but like click. <laughs> you know? yeah. No, yeah, I totally hear you. It's called social contagion. I mean, there's a term for it like whether you're in a boardroom or whether you're with a friend, but the people around you can influence your emotional and physical state and vice versa. And they can not just in influence one person, they can influence an entire meeting. Right. Like, right. And, 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 and so we have things called mirror neurons in our brain that literally look at another individual and reflect back their emotional right. and phys physical state. Right. And so, so is, okay, not to cut you off, but is this why bar fights start? Oh yeah, I mean it's social contagion. Like that's why, like it, it's it's literally infectious. And and this is why one person can totally drag down a party or a meeting, or one person is exuding this violence in a bar. You know, obviously in a bar fight, there's also this fight or flight threat response, right? You know, physical threat response. But um, it's 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 infectious. And so you know, you ask, what can you do? Well. I've personally found the best thing to do is to not say anything, to engage, to mindfully listen, to look at them in the eye and, and really engage, like really look like, and, and truly listen and, you know, nod and a lot of nonverbal stuff. They will actually end up fizzling out a little bit faster than if you start trying to fix it. Like the last thing you want to do oh. when someone is stressed, people do not, when people are stressed out and they're venting like that, they're not looking for a solution for the most part. I mean, that's just my opinion. I'm not an expert, but my opinion is that they are really trying, they are taking that stress that's internalized and they are just putting it out there into the universe. And so the best thing that you could do for that person is to actually be with them and listen and not try to fix it. You know, there may be another... They, people will tell you, they'll say, what do you think? I mean, people will solicit your advice, but we have such a tendency, including myself as a physician, as a husband, as a father to want to fix. And when we see someone suffering and sometimes the best thing that you can do is just listen. And I found that, you know, just like you were saying, like you start getting really hyped up and you get a headache and all these other things and you want to just extricate right. yourself from the situation. Right you can actually achieve those things faster. And then what you do, you, you almost become like a little bit of a detective. And this is where the meditation really helps. So when you're sitting and you're, and you're talking to this person, they're, they're just going, they're going in all different directions. You know, look at something physical on them. Like look at their eye color or, or just look at like what shirt they're wearing. And what that does is it okay. snaps your head, it snaps your head out of their stuff. You, you get grounded, you start to look at like the chair in the background, like 
taking the fact that there's this whole world around you, not just this one person that's right in front of you that's taking the, they're trying to take you along their narrative of what's right, going on. Right. And so, and you know, it's, it's also about drawing boundaries. I mean, and you can come up with all sorts of creative ways, you know, and usually putting it back on yourself is a good way to go to say something like, you know, I hear what you're saying and I can appreciate what you're, what you're going through. I don't really know truly what you're going through, but I can appreciate, I can appreciate that it's very upsetting. Whatever you, you know, you come up with something quick, but then, you know, you say, I, you know what, I, I am just, I, I need a little break from this. And it, it's hard to say, but sometimes you do have to say it. You've got to pay attention to your body because queen, if you're in the middle of that conversation and you're starting to notice like your heart rate going up, right. or like a, a headache or stuff like that, um, that's your body telling you, you need to change something in that situation. You right. either need to somehow engage. Most of the time it's, you got to leave. You got to leave the situation. And right. you just, you provided them with a gift by you just listening you are giving them so much more. If you just listen for a few minutes and then it'll be much easier to leave. You, you would have given them a gift by just listening. Okay. Okay. Wow. So see guys, it's, it's not, you don't have to be rude and hang up. You don't have to like walk away right away and just paying attention to other things. And like you said, giving them the gift of, li of listening. That's awesome. So, Okay. Before we begin to wrap this up, okay, you know, we talked about the importance of sleep. And actually, I was, I noticed more people are now on, you know, like CPAP machines. Yeah, yeah. Is that because of AFib? Is that just because of heart in general? Is that, you know, because I mean, I've even seen... I don't know if you've seen them, but like kind of commercials now for people that can't yeah. use CPAPs and, yeah. Yeah. you know, put in and so. Yeah. So sleep apnea is where you stop breathing at night. And, and there's two kinds. There's ones where like your tongue obstructs your airway. And that's where you usually hear a lot of snoring. Um, and then there's also something called central sleep apnea where you just stop breathing, but there's no sound. And so you don't, you don't have to be snoring to have actual sleep apnea. And so one of the treatments of sleep apnea is this continuous positive airway pressure CPAP system that delivers pressure into the airways to keep the airways open. And yeah, I mean, the, the machines are often loud. They're often uncomfortable. The air is being forced in. For many people, it's a game changer. They love the machine. For many people, they don't. In most cases, it actually has to do with the fact that the mask is not the right fit for the patient and uh. the, air, the air setting is not the right fit. So if someone is unhappy with CPAP, it is still the most proven treatment for sleep apnea. Now, sleep apnea is an enormous trigger for AFib. And AFib okay. is connected to sleep. So these two are totally connected. I've had so many patients. I give them medicine. I do procedures for their AFib but their AFib continues. And finally it comes up, a spouse may come into the office one day and it comes up that the person snores. And we do a, what's called a sleep study and right. we find out that their oxygen level drops like 80 times during the night. Um, and you fix that, you treat that, and their AFib literally goes away. I'm not saying it fixes it always, but there's a huge, huge connection. And you know, there's other ways of managing sleep apnea. And there's dental appliances, there's special dentists that can actually fit your your mouth like if you really don't want to be using the machine but 
I really encourage people that if they have sleep apnea and they aren't using the machine, like go get a second opinion from another sleep center about other options, mask fitting, things like that. There's also implantable devices that right. one that Medtron Medtronic makes that can be used for sleep apnea. Surgeries typically do not work well. That, that, those surgeries uh, have been around a long time and you, they're usually not effective. So, so it's really CPAP, dental appliances, or, you know, these newer technologies. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. So, okay. We have talked about your book. We have talked around your book. We've talked about the people in your book. Tell them when this amazing piece of literature is coming out. Okay. So September is National AFib Awareness Month. The book is being released September 1st. It's available anywhere books are sold. It's available on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, also in bookstores. You can go to directly to those websites like Amazon and just type in Restart Your Heart and my name, Asim Desai, and it'll pop up. But you can also go to my website, drasimdesai.com, D-R-A-S-E-E-M-D-E-S-A-I.com. And I have a blog there. It's got tons of information about heart health, health in general, AFib. There's um, a speaking page, there's a contact page, and then I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and it's at Doctors Seem to Size, so it's kind of easy to remember, you know, the website and right. the social media handle, and you can direct message me, like if people have a hard time, you know, finding the book or what have you, right. um, you can pre-order the book now. So the book is available for pre-order, okay. and it's going to be re released September 1st, both as a hardcover and as an ebook. I would encourage the hardcover only because I have sections in there where you can actually write notes. Right. Uh, so it's kind of a, you know, kind of a, kind of a nice feature. Plus I just like holding a book in my hand. Um, and so, I do too. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I would definitely encourage people and probably the most important thing, you know, for me, you know, personally speaking is if any of your listeners get the book, I would love their honest feedback on it. So guys, how, I, and, and I'm always it? about that. Guys, give feedback. Tell him what you think. Tell him, you know, things can get revamped. You can also always say, and if you don't agree with it, you don't agree with it. Or if it's something you don't understand, you can say, you know what? I wasn't quite, this wasn't quite clear, you know? Yeah. It, it wasn't, you know, because we all have different methods of learning or different methods of understanding. And so if 10 people are saying, you know, it wasn't quite clear, then we know to change something or say something differently, but Absolutely. you know, and also if you love the book, say, you know what, this was a game changer for me, but that feedback guys is truly, truly important. So guys, definitely, if you don't pre-order the book, when it comes out on the 1st of September, definitely go and check it out. Like you said, Barnes and, and Noble, Amazon, come on. <laughs> one, one thing too about the book I didn't mention, tons of patient stories in the book. You know, I like to characterize this book as a combination of medical information, illustrations, and storytelling. It's all about storytelling. I tell stories throughout the entire book. So I, I feel like re people really connect in that regard and it keeps it interesting. Right. It, it doesn't make it this sort of dry book. It's, it's really, you know, kind of got that uh, in there. And, you know, the same thing for the podcast today, as you mentioned about feedback. I tried to touch on a variety of different topics. Um, I hope I did okay. Yeah, you did. You did <laughs> but, awesome. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I was more worried that it was going to come off as like some big science lesson. Right. 
and you didn't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So I encourage your, your listeners that, you know, whoever hears this podcast, if you have questions, comments, feedback, please uh, DM me on social media. Um, I would, you know, love to hear from you and, uh, and connect. And, so, yeah. And definitely guys check out his website because there are resources on the website that, you know, I, I, I do do my research before I have a guest. You guys know this. So there are resources on the website, you know, where you can join a newsletter and you can sign up. And if you possibly have AFib or if you know someone that has AFib, you know, you can get things that will help you in your day to day. And guess what, guys? These resources are free. They're, they're free, yep. you know, that big magic word that I love so much. Well, yeah, so, so there's free resources off the website, and then we are running uh, social media campaigns where you can get free excerpts of the book. Um, and then there's also uh, what's called Goodreads Giveaway. So um, it's, a, it's a platform for authors that people can um, basically just type in Google Goodreads Giveaway or if they want to DM me, there's a variety of ways to get the information. And they can actually uh, enter to win a free copy of the book. So um, we're running that promotion over the next several weeks. Oh, perfect. So guys, you know now how to get it. So all again, Dr. Desai's information will be in the show notes. So you can definitely make use of all of this. So, oh my gosh, thank you so much, doctor. It's been an awesome experience. And I hope that you enjoyed this as well. So thank you so, so much. You're welcome, Queen. And thank you for having me on the show. It's been a real fun uh, conversation. <laughs> thank you. So guys, wasn't that amazing? And didn't he drop some real gems on us? It was better than being in the doctor's office. Seriously. Don't forget to check out his book, Restart Your Heart, the playbook for thriving with AFib. It's coming out September the 1st, guys. You don't want to miss it. And if you have any questions for him or you just want to check him out on Instagram or on his social media, all of his information will be in the show notes. So you won't miss a thing. Thank you again, Dr. Desai. And as always, guys, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping. Hey, everyone, it's Angelica from A Little Bit of Everything With Me podcast, and you're listening to CQP Moments with the Coupon Queen pen. Don't forget to like and subscribe and rate her podcast.